Recovering from knee surgery is highly variable. It was going to take forever to get better if I was ever going to get better. There's got to be something out there besides a CPM machine, which and clearly isn't helping me. Active and aggressive with this thing, or I was going to. You know, I'm a guy that's not looking to relieve the pain. I'm a guy that's looking to get back in the game. That downtime was not what I wanted. We've spent the last seven years perfecting the recovery system that takes variability out of knee rehab so you can quickly get back to your life. Welcome to The Bee's Knees, a podcast full of articles, interviews, clinical studies, and advice about knee surgery, physical therapy, and life after knee surgery. Oh, now the pressure's on. But you're such a natural in front of the, and, you know, in front of the camera. <laughs> All right, well, this is PJ. I am so excited. Um, we have this little podcast, The Bee's Knees, Frida. And we've been doing this in September, right around the time of your surgery, your bilateral knee surgery. But we are kind of honored, I have to be honest, to have Rita DeMontis, who is a writer, and, uh, and she works at the Toronto Sun. She does a lifestyle and food, lifestyle and food editor at the Toronto mm -hmm. Sun. And you went through the whole shooting match from start to finish, sort of very publicly, starting in September, ending just last week in early January 2019. And we're going to talk about it. How cool is that? <laughs> oh, that's so wonderful. And thank you, PJ, for reaching out. I'm, I'm really thrilled and honored to be sharing my messaging. If, if it helps one person, that's one person you know, on the side of, uh, of success. So doing this, I'm very, very excited and honored. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And we're happy to have you, obviously. And it's, you know, it's funny. You're going to help so many people and what I think the maybe the biggest thing that you and I can do is demystify and and take away mm. some of the fear right that that you had exactly. comprehension I know I watched some of the video where it was like here it comes I, I'm <laughs> getting ready for my surgeries and and, um, and it's a little you know it's a little nerve-wracking and you know by walking people through and I'd like to start well really I'd like to start with a little bit about you just for sort of like a preview of coming attractions. Let's talk about you, your background, what you do, how you got there. Um, let's talk about <laughs> what led up to your knees needing mm. the work. And then let's talk about what you know so well from the last four months about sort of how it went. Does that sound like a plan? Sounds like, sounds like a, but I'm Italian and I have a big mouth, so I will share. <laughs> <laughs> Believe it or not, I'm Italian so, too. Uh, I have a lot of Italian in my background. So I'll, 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 I'm, very I nice. promise Rita to not, <laughs> interrupt her. So I'm going to stop right now. I'm going to let you tell us about yourself proverbially. You're that, that, that so thing. kind. Well, <laughs> my name is Rita DeMontis and uh, I live in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, a wonderful, lovely city. Uh, we welcome everyone come and visit us, especially with the dollar change, you know, American to Canadian, but I digress. And um, <laughs> I actually was born in France to Sardinian parents. And we immigrated here when I was two and a half years old. And I always had a very athletic life. I used to jog and uh, I loved dancing. And I was pretty, uh, you know, coming from a big Italian family, you're always in the move. You're always moving, visiting, doing this and that. And then, you know, life took over and uh, osteoarthritis runs in my family. And in 10 years time, I was going from walking everywhere to realizing I was really struggling and driving. I had to get a disability sticker. It was this horrible, horrible pain. 
I felt like a, uh, a mad beaver was constantly gnawing at the bones in my knees and, uh, and in my back. And I just I thought, what is going on? And, you know, I was living on pain medication. So I finally realized I was getting into a crisis. And my family doctor suggested a surgeon in downtown Toronto, a very nice man. And so he says, let's scope your knees. Now, one of the things is when you have severe osteoarthritis and it's bone on bone, scoping is not going to do anything. It may if you're an athlete and it's cleaning up, you know, meniscus tears or whatever. But when it's bone on bone, it's, it's just like, it was almost like I woke up and thinking, what has gone on? It, like live razor blades are going back and forth on my knees. And it, I went into a depression. I just couldn't take the pain. The pain actually accelerated. Then we did a PRP with my own blood. And that in and of itself was enough to uh, make me go a little nuts because the pain was so excruciating. And I just thought, I'm just going to be disabled. I can deal with this. I'll let the years go by. And, you know, I'll just, every time I went shopping, I had to you know, plan, had to, okay, where can I sit down right away the moment I park my car, get a cart, and then find a place. Like I was sitting on, if I was in a furniture store, I was sitting on their beds and things like that. Or if, if I was in a local supermarket, I'd sit down wherever I could find a chair. And that's not quality of life. So for many years, I did a lot of volunteer work. I really believe in volunteerism in a variety of places. And one of the places was this hospital called Humber River Hospital. It went from a small Berg hospital to this amazing state-of-the-art hospital in uh, the city's West End. And I would do something called uh, Harvest on the Humber. I'd get a group of chefs. We would create food. Uh, we'd thank the patrons of the hospital. And it was always so much fun. Why didn't I think of them? as a place to go for my surgery, especially since it's home to some of the most dynamic surgeons. And so I thought, I'm going to go here. And I did meet this incredible surgeon who was actually a lot of fun, no-nonsense man. Um, he's, he's, you're going to, we're going to do this, and you're going to do that, and you're going to feel great. And he was right. And You know, is this, the, is this Dr. Rodriguez then? Is this the one? Yeah, Dr. Rodriguez. Okay, got it. He's, uh, he, he works with a lot of um, sports people, and he does a lot of um, revisions and things like that from people who have had uh, – their surgeries just didn't work out. So he's a, he likes complicated surgeries, and he will do bilateral. Mm-hmm. And my surgery was totally different this time around. I was not put out. You know, my back was frozen. And then I had nerve blocks put in my legs, and they are a lifesaver. Then he told me, go out and get something called a Game Ready. It's, it, it is, they have various types, uh, different companies. This was called Game Ready. I didn't know it was used in the um, armed forces and for professional athletes. And what it is is two huge cuffs that wrap around your leg. It goes into surgery with you, and you leave surgery with them wrapped around your legs. And what it does it cools and it heals and it feels like a million bucks to the point that you really don't need that much pain medication. In fact, I was astonished that I had very little pain medication. And the hospital itself uses um, a pain management team. So their protocol is they're not going to give you the fentanyl and they're not going to give you the Demerol, but they're going to use with a different um, protocol in place so that you ride whatever wave of pain management that you need. And I was shocked that I, this was manageable. Anyone having or facing knee surgery must understand that there is um, discomfort involved, like anything. 
you bunk your knee, you're going to have discomfort, but not to the degree where I was reading online where it sounded like they were hacking away at people's legs or they were awake. I didn't encounter any of that. And I spent uh, four days at uh, Humber, and then I moved to this uh, fabulous rehab hospital called West Park, and near where I live, actually. And for a week there, you know, I was up and walking within three days. And again, they used the same protocol in place with um, pain rehab, and it was a very positive experience. And I learned all sorts of cool things, like getting in and out of a chair. Who knew? And then I was an outpatient for uh, three or four months after that. And, and, you know, the whole experience taught me that we can overcome adversity and really looking at what scares us. And I think fear of the unknown is the biggest challenge we all face, and understandably so. One of the biggest lessons I learned was it's not pain. It's not your knee pain. You're going to have knee discomfort. If you have a great surgeon and you dialogue and say, I'm really scared, what should I do? They should walk you through it so that you shouldn't go into any surgery terrified out of your mind. I wasn't. I was laughing. I had the best care, I have to tell you. And it wasn't because, you know, I was going to do a series or talk about it. I was there because I was a patient, and it was as simple as that. And by being proactive, it really, really helped me. It's okay to go in there with a list of questions. That's the, that's You are a patient. And you're the consumer, really. And, and they, they, should, they should be prepared for it. Any surgeon should be prepared for this. And their team. And luckily for me, I really had a great team in place. And even afterwards, you know, I, um, I just found I would go into rehab feeling like a million bucks. And people would stop me and go, what knee did you have done? And I said, I had both done. Yeah. And they said, how is that possible? And I said, well, it, was, it is. That's a weird thing. When you have your surgery on bilateral, it's weight-bearing. You are not going to fall apart if you stand up on your knees after surgery. What it is is you have to retrain your muscles and your nerves. Uh, You have to find a new center of gravity. My legs are straight. I think I gained a quarter of an inch. I am so excited. I had severely bowed legs, like severely bowed legs. In fact, I even ran the x-rays in the paper to show people how severe it was. And my surgeon straightened my legs. In the mornings, I kick up my legs and I bend and I do all my little exercises just to keep them well-oiled. So, you know, my enthusiasm is the fact that I went shopping uh, shortly about, so I was driving six weeks after my surgery, but about two months after my surgery, I was in a huge box store that used to terrify me. And halfway through the store, I was going, something's missing here. And I was kind of bewildered. And then it dawned on me, I didn't have pain. My knees didn't hurt me. And I almost started crying. Wow. near the produce section. <laughs> I, I didn't have to look around for a chair. I didn't have to Amazing. beg to go to the front of the line because I was in so much pain. I forgot the pain. Was that the moment, would you say, that you're like, okay, I'm back? Or did, was it, that was eight weeks, I think, you said, post-surgery? It was, uh, it was yeah, it was, I was shopping at eight weeks. I was going out. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm one of these stubborn people, so... My girlfriend would come with me, so I had my six weeks uh, post-op with my surgeon, and I drove there, and she kept me company. And then when we were together, I I said, oh, when can I start driving? And he said, why are you taking any pain medication? 
I was taking over-the-counter Advil, you know, just to take the edge off because you do, like anything, you know, you, you, you'll feel discomfort. And I said, yeah, I'm doing this. And he goes, okay, you can drive. And I said, good, because I drove here today. And he started to laugh. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and did, you, just, uh, um, mm-hmm. did you consider one versus two knees at any point? Or was it just fait accompli, no. you're going to do two? I, I just woke up and I said, I got to do both of them. Mm-hmm. I am not going to because it would have it would have sort of like kept it going too long. Uh, it's bad enough I canceled my surgery twice because I was so frightened. Really? And I knew I wasn't prepared. Yeah, no, I wasn't in the right frame of mind. So even then, I thought I have to take control of my happiness. And one of the things I did is I really looked at how. I was treating myself, and I wasn't treating myself well. I was eating poorly. I wasn't exercising. So I went on a really good program. And by good program, I mean, I just cut out. I I started eating breakfast again. I cut out sugar in terms of, like, I wasn't going to deny myself a cookie. But I wasn't going to have, like, you know, four or five cookies instead of having a dinner. And then I went and I, I, I hired a friend of mine to help me train. And, you know, it sounds like I had a trainer. No, he would come over and he'd watch me get on the bike and he'd help me get up and down. And, like, I mean, this guy trains athletes and he was training, you know, a garden gnome at this point. And, um, and, but it helped. It helped me move. And anytime you get fresh oxygen to your brain because you're, you're motivating yourself, you feel like a million bucks. And that was why I went into surgery when I did. Because I when knew you I was did ready. Training. When you did training, um, mm-hmm. do you mean uh, strength training for your quads and hamstrings? Uh, do you mean yep. bending? What, what were you doing? Bending, yep. Bending, getting on the bike, uh, mm-hmm. getting in and out of a chair. Um, and he helped me build up my, um, my resistance. And that really, really helped. Because if, you, if you're having surgery, you want to be in the best shape. You, you have to approach your surgery like you are approaching, you've entered the, a marathon. Now, people shouldn't be overwhelmed by that. Like, oh, I'm not, I can't do it. I mean, look at me. I'm, I'm on the couch. I'm in so much pain. But it could be something as simple as moving your ankles up and down, moving your, you know, moving a little bit more, you know, getting up every 20 minutes instead of sitting for two hours. I was, I, I would sit in front of the computer and I would write because I'm a writer. And then it dawned on me, geez, I haven't gotten up in two or three hours. And when I got up, it was agony. So now I, um, I purposely, I, I have a, a little clock. <laughs> I have a clock. <laughs> mm-hmm. on my desk. One of those. And I watch it. Yeah. One of those. <laughs> People are going, what's a clock? <laughs> <laughs> and I look at it and I go, okay, get up. Get up, stretch your legs, bend, move, walk across the room, and come back. And that is a gift. You know, when, when people hear, oh, I can't train, I can't get a trainer, I can't do this, you can. You know, it could be as simple as a trainer could be your spouse or, your, or, or a neighbor and just saying, just walk with me. I can't make it around the block, but I can make it to the front of the house and back. Just walk with me. Just watch me so I don't fall. And that is in your corner. They're little, you know, success isn't measured in miles or whatever. It's, it's in little increments in our lives. And that's what gives us the courage to move forward. Was it, would you consider this to be prehabilitation, prehab, or was it just, I need to get in better shape? Well, it's a combination of two. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I called it prehab, and I think that really helped. 
And I, you know, I'm one of these scattered people. Like I write little notes. I leave them on the, you know, all over my room or whatever. Discipline is very hard for me because I'm disciplined in, in certain aspects of my life. I'm not disciplined in others. And I had to force myself to, to be a, a, a bigger discipline to myself. And that helped because mm-hmm. discipline will help you set up a routine. When you have a knee surgery, you have to be on a routine. If only to galvanize yourself. If your routine is, okay, I'm going to be watching the news at this time, that's part of your routine. Right. You know, it's, it's really, it's just, um, it's kind of rejigging your mindset a little bit. And, well, tell me and, about the um, tell me about the canceling surgery twice and finally going through it and overcoming that fear. What kind of time frame was that? And how did you? What was there? What were the factors that said, "All right, I'm really ready for this"? Was it the trainer? Was it the eating? Was, oh, combination of things. It, it was being brutally honest to myself. So my first surgery was last November. And I canceled it because I just wasn't in the right mindset. So the second surgery was for February the, I think it was the 18th, which uh, a year ago. And before you do any surgery, they send you to, you know, your, your um, pre-op. And from the pre-op, my surgeon, because they're so meticulous, I had had um, a little heart issue 10 years earlier, and they just wanted to make sure that my heart was fine. My heart is great, by the way. Mm-hmm. But they sent me to a doctor who specializes in obesity because he's, um, uh, you know, he's like one of these overall doctors. So they want to check to make sure you don't have diabetes, you don't have this, you don't have that. Heart uh, issues were, fell under his jurisdiction. So I hadn't weighed myself in a long time. And I'm a short, somewhat chubby woman. Chubby women do not want to know how much they weigh, seriously. <laughs> right. So I went there, and, uh, and um, the person who they wanted to, they, you have to be weighed. I mean, you're in a, a specialist's office, they weigh you. And I said to the woman, as God is my witness, I said, please don't tell me how much I weigh. She misconstrued it, and she barked out how much I weighed, and I was shocked. <laughs> Uh, so what happened is I said, well, why did you tell me that? And again, this woman must have been deaf. She thought I didn't say it loud enough. So she barked it out so loud that all these morbidly obese people in the waiting room leaned over to look at me. And I'm going, mm. oh, my goodness. You know, so I went to the doctor and I was crying. And he goes, what's wrong? And I go, I'm too fat for the surgery. I'm sorry. I've got to get into shape. i got to get my weight down. I cannot. And even then it was like. It's terribly to be publicly shamed, but I realized I need to get my weight down. I need to do something for me to be in a better state of mind, emotionally and physically. And he goes, I'll help you. You tell me. So he rescheduled the surgery on my behalf to September the 6th. And that's when I, I got a friend of mine to help me. And then I started eating healthy. And, you know, the weirdest thing is the moment you start eating healthy, you feel better. You know, you eat your greens, you have salads, you have lean meats. You, you start discovering your taste buds are not mired by garbage that you had been feeding yourself. So that I felt like I am treating this like I am getting ready for a marathon. And, it, and, and keep in mind, I, this was not a big deal for me. 
Uh, and for anyone, really, when you think about it, I started eating healthy and I started taking a few steps. Like I was working out maybe twice a week. You know, people who work out, they work out every day. Not, I didn't have time. I did it twice a week, 45 minutes, and it was more than enough. But I would get up earlier. I would walk around more, you know, to to the extent because I was also dealing with chronic pain. And chronic pain just eats at your spirit. Anyone who's been through this knows that chronic pain just just gets into your heart and, and, and digs a hole and doesn't want to leave. But it will leave. I can guarantee that. So when I had my surgery, I, and also I surrounded myself with positive people. <laughs> like I had my sisters. I had my best friend there. You know, I, I had an entourage of people who were making me laugh. I started reading really funny stories. So one of my favorite comedians is the American Sebastian Maniscalco from Chicago. I adore the man. So every night I would go on YouTube videos, and I'd, I'd watch him until I laughed. And, um, and Don Rickles another one oh my goodness you know make yourself laugh because laughter is actually healing it releases natural endorphins in your brain and it actually helps guide you to a good place in your head so that's another thing you can do if you can't exercise then watch something that'll make you laugh so hard uh, that you know it, it, a good belly laugh is worth a million bucks so that by the time I went to the hospital I wasn't scared I was mm-hmm. anxious a little bit, but I was not frightened. I would not let fear, you know, my husband used to say to me a uh, long, long time ago, he'd say, you know, a coward will die a thousand deaths, but a hero will only die one. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like that saying. I'm not, it sounds pretty, you know, um, kind of uh, out there, but it's true. I was going to jump on this ship and as the, as the waters were calm or if the waters were rough, I was going to be at the front, and I was going to ride this baby, and I did. You you come from a family, uh, you said, uh, of osteoarthritis as a threat. Yeah. Were were you? Yeah. Are, were there others in your family that have had? My mother. Before? My mother had severe osteoporosis I see. and osteoarthritis, and she was also severe diabetic, and mm-hmm. um, she passed away from diabetes. Uh, she they were going to amputate her legs. And she said, no, no. My mother used to teach dancing in France. And uh, so she said no. And she passed away six weeks after that. So, and my brothers, you know, like, um, it's just, you know, it's the the wear and tear of your body, which is sad. But it's also, it could be our lifestyles. Mm -hmm. You know, we're sitting in a car all the time. Or, you know, we're not even parking a little further away and and doing that walk. So I think... The reality is people need to be totally brutally honest with themselves and take a look and say, what am I doing that is contributing to making myself feel worse? Mm-hmm. And, and that's half the battle. Your attitude is amazing. And, and uh, you know, what's, what's interesting, though, is, Rita, you shared the other side, which is positive lady, got herself in shape, made it happen. But remember, she tried it twice before and had to go through something to finally get to that place where she walks in triumphantly and dances with the robot and ends up recovering (laughs) brilliantly. Like it didn't just happen. It took you a a year's worth of thinking and work and, you know, self analysis and, and working out. And I mean, the, the story is as much as it's been wonderful to see a four month, you know, from September to January and, a, a, you know, driving and a great recovery, you set yourself up 
for that success with all the things you've been describing about laughter and peers and, and the right attitude and, and losing some weight and just putting yourself in the, in the right place for that. And also, and it also seems that you, I don't know if you shot, well, you did describe it, but you found a great doctor who seemed to have yeah. a great hospital with a, I mean, those things seem to fall into place really well for you as well. But I remember I had had a bad experience before that. Right. And right. It's true. I had, right. Yeah. And I learned something is you're the consumer. You, you, it's okay for you to ask the questions. And if you're not happy with this, there's a reason for it. You should not, you know, I think a lot of us tend to put blind faith and there's nothing wrong with blind faith, but if it's impacting and you're unhappy and you're, you know, like when I had my knee scoped, it was one of the worst experiences of my life. And the pain never went away. I thought that after I had my knee scope, the way I was led to believe that, oh, you'll be walking okay, pain-free. Maybe, maybe I had two hours out of that whole incident where I was pain-free-ish, but chronic pain all the time. It got to the point towards closer to my surgery where I was sleeping with pillows under my legs because the pain in the middle of the night would keep me up and I was trying all sorts of different pain medications uh, because nothing was working nothing was working and you know and I have a life you know I have um uh, you know I have uh, I love to travel and that was difficult because I, I've done a fair bit of traveling and I've had to say no to a lot of opportunities uh, where I would have been allowed to travel, but it was the, the walking element of it. So now I'm going, I'm going to travel again. I am going to see the things that I enjoy. And, and, and the only way I could have done this is if I was brutally honest with myself, faced my fears, and realizing once you face the fears, they're not as scary as you think. Fear of the unknown, do your research. That's another thing was I started steering clear away from negative, negative stories. We all know that not everything is positive. We all know that um, surgeries can go wrong, that you may have to have uh, your knees replaced yet again. The, it's, it's, it's the laws of probability, but I started clearing away from those because there were just, for every positive story, there were 10 negative, but I realized I was drawn to the negative ones because then they kind of like, okay, then I can't have the surgery. Look at this. And then I started talking to people. And believe it or not, my neighbors in my wonderful condo, I've been in the same condo for since 91, um, they've been going through surgeries because we're all getting a little older and everything. And my friend's wife said to me, Rita, the surgeries today, this isn't even, from five years ago, they've changed dramatically. They're using different methods. Their, their, their cuts are smaller. You know, you're in and out. They don't want you languishing in a hospital because they know if you do that, you're just going to get, you know, worse. You're not going to move. Part of your healing is, is understanding that you are going to move. And by moving, it could be just getting up and down off a chair. Like I would get so excited when I go to my, um, for my uh, rehab. They taught me how to get in and out of a chair properly. To this day, I didn't know I was doing it wrong for years. It's Tell us. fascinating. Tell us. Tell well, us how you know, to get out of a chair. Well, did you ever hear this nose over toes? Oh, yes. When you're, yeah, that's what I learned. Nose over toes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Until I could gracefully. Oh, that's another thing. You know, I try to think I'm a graceful person. Well, I'm not. I'm sort of like an unmade bed. You know, things fall off. My purse falls off. My, you know, so 
<laughs> a bit of a schlub on occasion, but, uh, you know, and, and once I got over that, it's fine. Uh, swimming, I love swimming, you know. I'm embracing the things that I missed out on. You know, I'm looking forward to going uh, mall shopping. I haven't been able to mall shop in years, you know. So, so let's, let's talk then, about that. Let's talk about the milestones along the way. Um, but before we do that, let me digress for one more. I'm, I'm so curious. I wanted to go back because I didn't really ask it, and I wanted to ask. Tell me a little bit more about the scope and the platelet-rich plasma, the PRP, how, how long ago was that? What were the hopes and expectations? It, I know they didn't work, but uh, you expressed a lot of pain after the scope. Why were they scoping? Was it to remove scar tissue? What was, what was the purpose of that scope? I had, um, so this was two years before I had my surgery. Okay. And my family doctor had been treating me for osteoarthritis and major knee issues for years. And he says, you know, you have to address it. So you need to, they would, they would um, x-ray my knees and they'd see that it was basically bone on bone. So they sent me to a surgeon who is very, very nice. I mean, I don't have any complaints or anything, but I think what happens is they go by rote. There's some doctors that go by rote and they figured, oh, you know, we'll do a scope. We'll clean out what mess there is. And then we'll consider, and that's when they start doing the, um, it's like the cement they want to put in between your, your knees mm-hmm. or some, I don't know what it is, a jelly or whatever, they, so that you don't have to have knee replacement. And then everybody's putting all their energy into this PRP, which is like the, the, the magic bullet. It works in certain events, like you're an athlete, you're young, you're, you're, your muscles uh, haven't been worn down, your knees haven't been worn down. And also, there's a certain um, protocol in place, a certain discipline when you do have um, the PRP. And the doctor I went to wasn't following hardly any of it. So Mm. like using freezing or using an ultrasound to guide the needles in properly, he'd be sort of like, okay, sit down, swivel your chair over here, and then he'd jab this huge needle in. And I I thought I was going to faint. And the pain just reverberated for like days after and didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. And okay. I thought, you mentioned you know, it was expensive. Did, was that in Can- yeah. Canada? Did you have to pay for this, some of it yourself, or was it all I covered? had to pay for it out of pocket because it's still experimental. Uh, okay. Some insurances will pay for it. So, you know, in Ontario, okay. where I live, we have our OHIP, Ontario Hospital Insurance Premium. So I have this card. All my surgery, everything was covered. Even my rehab, everything was covered under OHIP. Mm-hmm. But the platelet was, um, it was, it was sort of like still experimental. I could put it on my income tax. Um, but yeah, but now there's a lot of insurance companies are accepting it, mm-hmm. but, uh, but my, it did not my, work for you, obviously. No, it didn't work for me, unfortunately. And what it did is made me terrified of, um, having future work done because this was a major surgery on my knees, having them both scoped at the same time and sent home. Yeah. And I just I thought I was going to go nuts, you know, and I got, I, I, I was scared away from everything, but I was mm-hmm. still doing um, my uh, volunteer work with Humber because I really liked that house. They had been very, very good to my in-laws um, and they, and they have a special, they have various specialties. It's unbelievable, but I never thought of them to help me with my knees until I just I was talking to one of the hospital staff and they said, you know who we have here, you know, 
we have like the the rock stars and I'm going, you know, maybe I should look into this. And I I had my doctor send a a reference letter to uh, Dr. Rodriguez and then an appointment was made and then he took x-rays and he goes, "Um, yeah, you don't have uh, very much. You don't have a lot there. He goes, your knees are a mess and you need surgery and you could, you know, you can have it. As, as soon as we have an opening, or you can live with the pain for as long as you want. And I said, no, I can't live with this pain anymore. He goes, right. good, because we're going to do them together. <laughs> Love so, that. Love that. Yeah. And it sounds like he's kind of the, the fixer as well. I know some surgeons mm-hmm. in Florida that are sort of famous for, you know, uh, when it all goes wrong, go to that guy, right? And it sounds like yeah. Dr. Rodriguez well, is one of those. He, he does some, um, he, and he's very, uh, he's very disciplined. Like, he, he, okay, get on a bike, Rita. Before your surgery, get on a bike, build up the muscles around your knees, and continue doing it. And he's right. It's just yeah. common sense stuff. Sure. And, uh, and he told me to, to rent a game ready, which was right. the icing machine, which was worth its weight in gold. Because wow. it not only it cools you down, and it, it massages, and you know you found you didn't uh, you didn't have to use pain medication. Like my pain medication when I was in hospital, both at uh, Humber and at West Park, was minimal. Because and some of the pain medication that they were giving me was over the counter, like mm-hmm. over the counter Tylenol. And, and if you tell people who are going through this, they're going, what? They didn't give you Demerol? No. That's so, really amazing. Know. I'm going to put a link yeah. to the game, the game Ready in the, and also to some other things that will be useful to the hospital, the, the rehab facility, Dr. Rodriguez. But I want to, just for those listening, I want to make sure that there will be links in the episode notes so that you can sort of pursue this stuff. But let's go, let's go to where I wanted to go a little while ago, and I, got, I distracted myself, Rita, but, um, and that is, <laughs> Um, milestones starting September 6th, you're back to work the January um, 8th, I believe, 2019. So yes. what, what was, and you mentioned the six week, the eight week, but to tell, if you can, if you can sort of break down those four months in terms of important events, if you, if you know them in your head, I'm not sure you do, but. Oh, well, I just, you know, I remember going to hospital on Thursday, okay. uh, Thursday afternoon, um, they, they asked me if I wanted to stay awake for the surgery. And I said, no, can you give me something to nap? Because, and they said, oh, yeah, yeah, no problem. And, um, and they were just, at one point, this, it just felt so soothing. Uh, and I fell asleep. And when I woke up, I was dreaming of Popeye. And <laughs> I, was, I said, I was having a great dream. And I woke up and I was alert. <laughs> And, and Dr. Rodriguez comes, he checks everything, he goes, okay, you're good to go. And they, they sent me to my room, and it was like round o'clock uh, care. And um, they said I could have gone into the rehab hospital two days later, but the rehab wasn't accepting on the weekend. So I waited until Monday morning, and then I was uh, by ambulance taken to West Park. And, uh, you know, I met with this team. It was uh, three doctors and three physiotherapists and an occupational therapist. And they had a skit up on the wall and they were so positive. And, you know, they said, okay, we're going to do this and this and this and this. And literally, I didn't think I'd be walking around the ward the next day, but I was because I was in the rehab hospital and they were awesome. And they, and the thing is, and that's with I the walker, right? with, with, with yeah. a rolling walker, with a walker. Yeah. yeah. And I was encouraged. The thing is I got great encouragement. They would say, did you walk down this hall here? And I said, yeah, twice. They said, that's amazing. And I thought, 
it is amazing. Holy camoli. <laughs> <laughs> so then, you know, I was there for seven days, and then right. I uh, went home. And that was, you know, I did go into a bit of, um, not a depression, but kind of down, because I realized, okay, now the fun begins. I have to fi- figure out, you know, and it wasn't, again, the pain. It was the discomfort, trying to find, because I, initially I couldn't sleep on my sides. I had to sleep on my back. But it was also having to relinquish everything I do, everything from cleaning litter because I have three rescue cats mm. to, you know, making dinner because I like to cook. I mean, I, I love cooking and I couldn't do that to relying on people to do grocery shopping for me. And that saddened me because that's what I like to do. I like to be in control. And now, I is this with just friends? Do you have any medical help or no? What's going on? Oh, just my neighbors and my sisters-in-law came over, my sisters. And, you know, little stupid things like I drink 1% milk. My sister would buy 2%. uh, And I go, well, this isn't my brand and I don't drink 2%. And she'd get a, well, I'll have to return it. (laughs) And I'd feel guilty. (laughs) Sure. Oh, my. (laughs) Then, you know, then my neighbor and I, we just... We just started having fun. She'd pick me up, and she was always very – she loved going out with me because she was retired, and she loved the idea, Georgia, that, uh, you know, we were we were Selma and Louise on these amazing adventures. And, you know, I would drive to rehab, and she'd take my car and drive home and then pick me up because the rehab was just down the street from me. And then I'd forget to give her the keys to my car. And my car has one of those buttons, <laughs> so she'd have to call me and you didn't give me the keys to your car. I can't stop the car. I'll get stuck in the middle of the road. Like, it was always an adventure, you know. I love it. But I had to, you know, I had to learn. I, I had to let my, my condo go in terms of I couldn't dust it every day. I couldn't vacuum. I had to train my husband who oh, faints at the sight of a vacuum cleaner. He had to learn how to vacuum, you know. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I relied on a takeout. I, I don't, you know, if I can cook, why would I do takeout? But I did that. And then slowly but surely, I started getting my, my strength back because it is major surgery. I mean, you're not anticipated to go out and put out the side of a barn, uh, and um, so I started getting my energy up, and then the, the first night I just went to sleep on my side, and I forgot I had had surgery. And I'm 20 minutes into a sleep when I woke up with a start, and I thought, oh, I'm on my side. My knees are okay. When you was know? that? And then that milestone. I was, it was about a, uh, oh, about a month, a month after month. my surgery. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And, and you're then, still using uh, the, the walker at four weeks. For both no, knees. no. I uh, started using two canes at three weeks. Two canes at three weeks. There we go. Okay, that helps. Two canes and at three then, weeks. Yeah, and then the hospital. Yeah, and then when I had my so when I had to have my um, staples removed, my and that was two weeks after my surgery, mm-hmm. and um, and my friend took me and uh, my doctor said, you know, you don't need two canes. I think you're good with one cane. I go, yeah, but they're both knees. And he goes, no, it's just how you balance yourself. So we practice. And I thought he's right. So then okay. when I went to see him for the sixth week, I didn't. I had a, a cane, but it was a fold-up cane. And okay. I kind of danced into his office going, ta-da. <laughs> and I, so I said, wait, wait, there, wait, there, there. I'm going to walk up to you. And he kind of like, yeah, I've seen better. And I said, yeah, but my bend ah. is 130. 
And he goes, that's really good, Rita. <laughs> 130 degrees at six weeks. That's really good. Yeah. Both knees. Did they both be both the 125 and 130. So okay. apparently okay. my right knee was a mess, and yet I thought it was my left knee that was the worst. I kept uh, favoring my right knee to, to be the, the strength for both my knees. And I didn't realize he said, your right knee was so bad. Uh, and and I, I saw the x-rays for it. And I thought, wow, no wonder I was in a, such a mess. And when did you so, drop the, the second cane, the last cane? I, you know what? I have it in my purse about okay. a month ago. I have a cane with me just in case because, you know, it's winter, it's icy outside. And, but I don't like using it because it's not comfortable anymore. I like mm-hmm. walking. I like walking and putting, um, bearing both knees properly. To this day, do you keep that cane or, or is, is it just as a... I, I keep that cane. It's my old one. Case. It was the one okay. I photographed that's all worn yes. down and it's more like a good luck charm. Okay. And you started to work... And you know what I use it for? I, when go I go grocery shopping and uh-huh. I need to reach up and nobody's around to help me because God forbid anybody help you and I, to pull out <laughs> items from the top. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Uh, so, so there you are. Could you have gone back? To, I mean, you said, you said you were writing already, but could you have gone yeah. back to work earlier than four months? Uh, you know what? If I, if I wanted to, I could have. Right. At three months, but I was I was writing from home, and you know there are little things that you, people need to be aware of. Is all of a sudden you'll get really tired in the middle of the day, like mm. I found I needed to nap, and rather than just thinking oh I'll overcome this, I why listen to your body. If your body's saying take a nap, take a nap. Mm-hmm. You know you have an opportunity, take it. So you know I because I write them the food pages for the some media across the chain and I do various lifestyle stories. Like uh, I've been so blessed. I've interviewed in my career, people like the late Anthony Bourdain, 70 oh. times, uh, Jamie Oliver. I went to Italy uh, a few months before my surgery and spent three days on a mountaintop in Tuscany with Jamie Oliver and his team to talk about his new show and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, it's exciting that, you know, I look at all the top Food Network stars. I've had a chance to talk to them and, and, and reach out to, to meet them and everything like that. And that's what I'm looking forward to doing again. But that said... If your body is saying you need to reclaim it, and if it means getting some sleep in the middle of the day, take advantage of it because at the end of the day, you're the one who's going to benefit from it. Yeah. Have you, um, by any chance, uh, worked with anyone from the Great British Baking Show, Paul Hollywood? No. Do you love that show? I love that show. Oh, my dear. That's my my dream. Yes. (laughs) Oh, my little children, over the holiday, we watched the last season obsessively oh. we're now baking and we're tweeting with the the winners and the cast from i mean we're oh. we're like so I, we have all this baking gear and i need to learn how to use it now i mean it's uh, i've got a five almost six and then an eight-year-old and oh, very we're nice just obsessed <laughs> so, meet oh, paul I hollywood and i want to hear all about it okay rita <laughs> he's the, well, he's the I, that handsome guy that leads the 
the charge over there on that show. It's pretty cool. Is it? Yeah, I see that. It's just amazing. And uh, there's yes. this, well, do you know who Anna Olson is? She's uh, she's on Food oh, Network Canada, and okay. she's a pastry chef. And if you have an opportunity, Google her. Okay. She, I was in England, believe it or not, and I put on the TV, and there's Anna Olson, great Canadian, and uh. she's creating these beautiful pastries, and she does it in a way that's so user friendly and so delicious. So, you know, mm. I, oh. like, I, I love cooking shows that show you how they create things. You know, there's, there's a time and place for drama. Drama's good. But mm-hmm. I also like to learn. And, you know, North America is home to some of the most finest chefs and pastry chefs, um, Michelin stars. I spent 10 days once in, um, in Las Vegas interviewing chefs there and food trends. And it was, it was like 10 days in Las Vegas and I didn't gamble. <laughs> right. It was a hoot. It was well, a real Well, that's why we need, to get you know? you, we need to get you back to this real work. I mean, those knees are pretty important for all the stuff you're going to do in the future, uh-huh. obviously. And when are you going to take your first trip of, you know, real trip? Well, I'm, I'm hoping in the spring. Okay. I'll certainly keep in touch with you, and I'll let you know the, the, the new adventures of Rita DeMontis and Yay. her new knees. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to be I'll put on a little cave. I'm, I'm going to be sharing a lot of your stuff as as, as you do your stories and with our That's various so groups and the Facebook folks and our Twitter and. So no, I'm 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 in. I'm 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 leader of the fan club. So and I want you to visit Toronto. It is home to some of the most astonishing food scenes. Uh, we have this incredible place called Casaloma. It's our castle here, and it's full of magic and whimsy. There's just there's some pretty pretty incredible things happening here, you know. But if I can impart something on on your wonderful listeners, please it's, yes, have a good sense of humor. Seriously, humor is such a it saves you in more ways than one. And you know, like I said, one of my favorite favorite comedians is Sebastian Maniscalco. He was in Toronto, and we went to see him. And you, at one point, you had to stop looking at him because you were laughing so hard. But humor re- releases all those feel good endorphins that actually help you heal and forget about your pain. And, you know, be positive with yourself. And, you know, one of the worst things we can do to ourselves is just get down on ourselves, like see ourselves as all, you know, I'm in pain. Well, embrace the pain and, 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 and understand that you're not alone in it, but also recognize what is this pain. And mm-hmm. you'll find that when you, when you, you know, I have this old saying, I, I tell this to everyone who is going through a really rough time. You've got to bob with the waves. So if you've ever been in rough waters, which, you know, I love swimming in the ocean, but if you have waves and you fight them, you'll find you're taking in a lot of salt water. But if you bob with the waves, you bob above them, you go with the flow, and you find that you survive it. So for anyone out there who is facing surgery, be positive, listen to humor, Look for the positiveness in you know in your support group because everybody needs a support group and bob with the waves because before you know it you're going to be running on that beach. Well said. <laughs> wow. With that, did we cover the ground we needed to cover, Rita? Do you think? I think, I think we, we covered more than enough. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Well, thank you for this. This has been truly, truly fun, and I know that. You know, as they say, paying it forward, you, you've done that in spades with all the work that you're doing on the paper and with this little thing that we're doing here. And, and uh, well done. Thank you so much.
Well, thank you, PJ, and I look forward to seeing you in Toronto. Yay. Right. <laughs> I'm Dr. Justin Trosclair, host of two-time Podcast Awards-nominated A Doctor's Perspective podcast. I interview doctors in and out of my profession about their specialties and the occasional non-doctor special guests. But we also go behind the curtain and see what's working for their marketing, overcoming struggles, practical knowledge, book choices, and relationship advice. Join me on any podcast app on your phone or visit adoctorsperspective.net for the show notes pages and free resources. I want you to have an abundant home life as well as a thriving practice. So come on, take a listen. To learn more, visit x10therapy.com, 1-855-910-5633. Just a reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast. It helps people find us. X10, back to full strength.